Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome back to the Leaving Eden podcast. Uh, we are here. My name is Gavi. I'm here with my BFF, Sadie. How are we doing today, Sadie? Uh, a little warm, but but okay. Yeah, it's not too bad. It's oh, uh, Before we get started, I want to just say thank you to everybody who sent me well wishes uh, for when you heard that I had coronavirus a couple of weeks ago. Um Thank you so much. I, I got all your messages. It, uh, it, it, it meant so much to me. I really appreciated it. Um, I'm better. I'm like not in any danger. My voice, you can probably tell my voice isn't all the way back yet. Um, I don't know if it's going to be uh, in for, for a bit, but you know, I'm, I'm better. I'm doing fine. I've been uh, uh, not positive for several weeks now. And that's going great. So thank you so much to all of that. Yeah. Today we are going to do some dating advice for people who are getting out of fundamentalism or getting out of purity culture. We decided towards the end of summer last, last summer, what did we do? We did a series about, we did a back to school series. Yeah, it was, it was all topics that you never got to learn about in school because you were, you were deprived of that education. And, and so this year we decided to kind of, we like the learning thing. So this year we're going to do a series of how-tos on multiple different topics. Going to keep it fresh, keep it mixed up. Yeah. Um, so the the first one we've got today is we're, we're talking about dating. I think next week we're talking about maybe you want to start drinking responsibly and not excessively. And maybe you want to learn how to dance. We're going to shoehorn those in in a couple of weeks. I, next week, actually, we have part two of the Plathville episode. But the week after that, Right, we're gonna, because the... Yeah. The um, the last episode 
of season four of Welcome to Plothville is upon us. I really want to know what happens. I think this episode it, this episode airs on August 1st, and I think the finale for Welcome to Plathville is August 2nd. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so then we're going to watch it and report back a week from the day that you're hearing this on August 8th. Yeah, I have some opinions about the things <laughs> that have been going on, but, but you'll you hear that. You having an opinion yeah. about something? Crazy. God. I did want to say, uh, if you want to hear me, if you want to hear me talk about dating even more you should check out the july 21st episode of podcasting for the right reasons uh i was a guest on a bachelorette recap podcast and it was extremely fun i know how much you love that stuff because we're talking about dating today and we're talking about reality tv next week so those two things together if you like those two things together be sure to check that out but today's episode it, this was inspired by an interaction that uh, we had on Twitter, right? We're saying, right. like Sadie and I, we, yeah, we saw a person uh, who was raised in fundamentalism and raised in purity culture, and was tweeting about like, how do I learn to date people in the real world? Like, it's difficult. How do I get into a relationship? Which you know, I can imagine that that would be difficult. And this is a topic. I think Sadie, you are the perfect person to give advice here on this topic. Oh, I don't know about perfect. I do think I'm qualified. Well, when you think about it, like, I can't think of somebody who would be more qualified than you are. So, like, th- like you're raised in purity culture. You escaped fundamentalism. You've dated people both inside and outside of fundamentalism. You've dated people of multiple genders. And then, you know, you eventually did end up getting married, in, like, into a serious relationship and then married, and then you started the family after okay. getting out of fundamentalism. So, yeah, fair enough. I, I guess I don't want to set myself up as a relationship expert because what I actually am is an expert in purity culture and the effects of purity culture after a person has left. I just want to yeah. be clear about my expertise. <laughs> that being said, I wouldn't call you not a relationship expert because you do have valuable experience, valuable advice that you can give to people. Um, and I am really excited to get your perspective on these things. And we've got a lot to talk about today. We're going to cover, you know, how to meet people, how to figure out who you are in a relationship, you know, setting boundaries. We're going to talk about consent, very important topic that I feel like uh, purity culture does some weird things to. You know, we're going to talk about how to really get the most out of relationships and how to really find what you're looking for. Um, This should be super fun. But before we get into that, uh, the Leaving Eden podcast is the podcast about my BFF and co-host Sadie Carpenter's life in and escape from the independent fundamental Baptist cult, a.k.a. the, the IFB, the cult in which she was raised. We talk about this cult. We talk about other cults. We talk about religion. We talk about fundamentalism. We talk about the real and present threat that cults and cult and ideologies Opposed to society as a whole, and it is our goal to promote freedom of mind, freedom of thought, and freedom of religion. So if you like our show, if you are a fan of our show, you can do a few things to support us. You can join our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash leaving Eden Podcast. You can join our Facebook group, which is Facebook.com slash groups slash Eden Exodus. You can join our subreddit, which is reddit.com slash R slash Eden Exodus. Both the Facebook group and the subreddit are great places to talk and discuss with podcast fans or, or, you know, about stuff that you hear about on the show, things related to it. 
Is there anything that I'm forgetting about before we need to get into it? I think that's it. I think we just thank our Faith Promise Missions tier patrons and get a move on. Yeah, okay, let's do it. So our Faith Promise Missions tier patrons, the people that really go the extra mile to support this show, your names are Alex Todd, Anisha Patel, Brittany, Brooke Tolly, Carrie R., Crystal Patterson, Eleanor Donahue, Emery Fairlosser, Hannah Ross, Hope Norum, Jen Kacharski, Jessica Tambo, Kay Terwee, Catherine Schneider, Kathleen Moncrief, Kristen Marie, Linda Morgan, Lorena Watson, Michaela Upright, Madeline Cusick, Mary Martin, Megan Arendt, Mike Smith. Thank you so much, Mike Smith. I love you on Twitter. Miranda Day. Hold, who is who is Pimp Daddy Mo Sadie's Ho? Is that Morgan? Yeah. <laughs> okay, sorry. Morgan I, Morgan texted me when she changed her Patreon name and I forgot to tell you. <laughs> okay, well that that is I'm used to Morgan being Sadie's actual BFF, but it says here Pimp Daddy Mo Sadie's Ho, which I I mean, I don't know how we all feel about that. Um There's there there are about four layers of inside jokes there. Okay, well, uh we have I'm dying. Rachel Bernadowitz, Rebecca Hoyt, uh, Reverend Robert Stutes, Sarah Reese, Shane Horton, Stephanie Johnson, Tiffany Enderby, and as always, Wes the Cowboy. Thank you so much, Wes the Cowboy. So I'll just give you our uh, blanket trigger warning for this episode and we'll get started. In general, we talk about a lot of potentially triggering topics on this show, including but not limited to suicide and mental health, racism, misogyny, PTSD and PTSD symptoms, child abuse, mental, physical, sexual abuse and spiritual abuse, including guilt, shame and fear. In most episodes, we're bound to mention at least a few of these topics. We try to avoid graphic detail unless it's highly relevant to the story we're telling. And then we also will give you an additional trigger warning right before we bring up any kind of graphic detail. In this episode in particular, we're talking about dating after purity culture. So there's going to be a lot of discussion of what purity culture teaches, uh, modesty culture, dating, good relationships and bad relationships, and how to discuss your trauma with people. I do want to give a heads up for any ACE listeners out there. We are going to be discussing sexual relationships, but it's confined to just one section of the episode, and we did not feel the need to get super graphic. We're leaving Eden, not Cosmo. That's true. Also, I do feel like today's episode, maybe it, like, maybe it feels a little more heteronormative than we usually do. You know what I'm saying? Uh, There are places, I think, in our outline, but of course, you know, date who date any person of any gender that you are attracted to who is consenting and above legal age. I agree with that statement. I think that I think the dating world is heteronormative. Like society's idea of what dating is, is inherently heteronormative. That's true. We'll we'll tease it out in the episode. We do tr- we do strive to be different, but hey, um, Sadie. Yes. For somebody who is fresh out of fundamentalism, just like right out of fundamentalism, raised in purity culture, they're doing the deconstruction and they want to date. They want to explore relationships. Where's the best place for them to start? 
what are the first big hurdles that they're going to have to get over? So I think what people in the audience might be expecting me to say is that, well, you have to overcome purity culture rules. But I was thinking about this topic, and I think that there is something that comes first. I think there's a major hurdle that you have to deal with before you deal with, like, I'm afraid to hold hands with somebody or be in a room alone with them. What's that? So I think that we were so heavily indoctrinated with the idea that dating is for marriage, that taking that idea apart almost has to be dealt with before you get to the actual purity culture stuff. So in my experience, people get out of purity culture and they want to date, um, and maybe they even are good with the idea of, like, they've deconstructed the part about uh, not having any kind of sexual content contact with somebody that you're not married to. Like, they've deconstructed that, but they're still thinking, like, how do I date somebody if I'm not sure I want to marry them? So we were told that you only date for the purpose of finding a spouse and getting married. And I felt like getting out of purity culture, like I would question what is dating for if it's not to get married. There was a false dichotomy set up where you're either dating for the purpose of getting married, dating with purpose, if you will, or you're Hmm. dating to selfishly have fun. And we were told that if you are not dating for marriage, then you are, by definition, being selfish and you're actually harming whoever you date, because you're stealing good years that they could be spending either looking for their future spouse or being married to their future spouse. So the effect of this is you meet someone you think maybe you'd like to date them and get to know them, but you like them. So you don't want to harm them by being this selfish person who is stealing their good years away if you don't end up getting married. There's no concept of you being able to bring anything to the table in a relationship other than the promise of eventual marriage. So obviously, it is unethical to tell somebody that you're looking for a long-term partner because that's what they want, and then you, when you really just like don't want anything serious, you just want to fling. That's oh, yeah. unethical, yeah, and, and to lead them on until you're ready to move on. Yeah, it is okay to want a long-term marriage or long-term relationship or even a marriage eventually. It's okay to go looking for that if that's what you believe you want. And it's okay to want a fling or a short-term relationship. It's not okay to not be clear with your intentions or to use people. I can, I mean, I can just imagine if you're dating only for marriage, if you're just like, I only want to date somebody unless I feel like I'm going to get married to them. And you're like afraid, uh, you know, it's like a a giant sunk cost fallacy Mm -hmm. with your time. Right. Where if you, you know, if you've been dating somebody for, say, a couple of years and you're like, there's this red flag, there's this red flag, there's this red flag. We really have different life goals at this time. Um, But if I break up with them, then that will be me admitting that I've been defrauding them for two years. That's, yeah, that turns doing the right thing for yourself into a moral conundrum where you're not allowed to do the right thing for yourself or the other person. So that's. Uh, Right. And in purity culture, like you said, you have to be reasonably sure that you could at least see yourself marrying a person before you can date them. And that obviously doesn't lend itself well to modern dating culture, where I feel like people go on a few dates and going on a few dates or dating for a few weeks is just not a big deal. And it's not even really... A lot of people don't feel like they even had a breakup if they just went on a few dates and then it kind of fizzled out. 
But in Fundy World, that's a major, that's a breakup. That's a heartbreak. That's a big deal. And so if everybody that you go out with is somebody you can imagine yourself marrying, then that means that by the time you even have one date with somebody, you've already, you know, been writing your initials together in the hearts in your notebook in, you know? Oh, yeah. Like, Like, girls that I went to Hiles Anderson with would go on first dates with boys and pitch potential future baby names. That, oof. In the real world, that's how you don't get a second date. Uh, <laughs> right. At Hiles Anderson College, that's how you do get a second date. Oy vey, oy gavalt. So it's really difficult if you date coming out of that. So th- this is, so you basically, just, so this is why we're doing this episode because we have to flip everything on its head, but it's okay. We'll get you Except through Except for it. like the two things that Fundy's got right, which we will tell you. <laughs> so if you meet somebody that you're attracted to, you have to know that you have the same values and the same life plan as this person before even deciding I want to date that person. And that's if you're lucky enough that they also happen to be attracted to you too. Well, am I getting this right? You're getting that right. Except for the last part, because in Fundy world, physical attraction is very, very little of what makes you decide to date somebody. Unless you're a man. Uh, in, unless you're a man, and then you still can't say that. You still have to. You still have to use all these euphemisms. You can't say, "I want to date her because she's pretty." You have to say, uh, "I want to date her because she's a dedicated bus worker, and because she has such a sweet spirit, and because she loves and respects her father, and because I think she'll be a good wife because she's in the Christian education program, and I want to be an assistant pastor, so she will fit well with my ministry goals." And also, she's pretty. There's like the eighth thing. Yeah. Okay. And then, like, if you're, uh, if you are a woman or a fab person in fundamentalism, especially the part of fundamentalism that I grew up in, you are completely unaware that you experience physical attraction, um, <laughs> because no one has ever told you. Oh no. That you are capable of experiencing physical attraction. Or maybe just the fundy men aren't doing it. For that you. could also possibly be it. <laughs> But you like you may be aware of visual attraction to people, but you are not aware that you experience physical or sexual attraction. So, I mean, I don't know. Hypothetically, you might think that some boys are really pretty and some girls are really pretty, but you think that that's just, uh, you know, appreciating God's creation because you are completely unaware <laughs> That you're actually bisexual, <laughs> not based on a true story. With, with all this stuff, I see why the fundies and I see why people who are raised in purity culture believe that their relationships are ordained by God because of just the, the numerous things that have to be in perfect alignment for the relationship to even happen. And then when those things are in alignment, you're just like, oh, well, all of these things are in alignment. Therefore, it's ordained by God. And if this breaks up, then... Then I've messed up God's plan. Yeah. Right. They very literally believe that God ordained each marriage. And if he didn't ordain it to begin with, he retroactively ordained it when you said, I do. So now you're stuck either way. And this is where a lot of submission topics come into play, because the belief is that whether or not the relationship was God ordained to begin with, it becomes God ordained the moment that you are married. So regardless of whether it was God's plan 
for you to get together. And this is why you have to like pray and fast and like seek God to before you get married, like during while you're engaged. Because if you marry that person, if you go through with the wedding, it is now God ordained, no matter whether that person was really God's will for you to start with. So you get married. And if the, if one partner is abusive or if you're not compatible or whatever, it does not matter because your marriage is now God ordained and the husband has been put in authority over the wife by God personally. So before you're even thinking about how to exist in the same room comfortably with a person that you're attracted to or anything like that, you're wrestling with this ingrained shame of you are so selfish and bad for even wanting to date. So before you can start dating, you have to change your entire conception of what dating is and what it's for. Yeah. So it's a bit of like a catch-22 because a lot of times you don't know what you're looking for in a relationship until you get into it. And then you're you're like, oh, actually, this feels right. I didn't think I was looking for anything serious, but actually, this feels right. I'm going to, right, like, this is it, you know? And we know that in fundamentalism, there is deep shame around sex and pleasure, but there is also such deep shame around dating itself. It prevents people from getting into the game and starting to learn what it is that they're even looking for in a relationship to begin with. And then you get through that, and you also have to concurrently take apart purity culture, which we all know is just a giant tangled ball of string that you have to untie. Oh, yeah. Um, And we're talking about baby steps here. If you're going to start, yeah, if you're going to start dating, what are some ways that somebody can maybe dip their toe in the water a little bit and work through unlearning some of the purity culture stuff? So let's uh, let's backpedal a little bit and talk about what purity culture taught us. I personally like to refer to purity culture as virginity culture instead because it really is all centered around the social construct of virginity. I want to note before we start too deep into this that I'm mostly going to be talking about how this affects women and AFAB people because that's my experience. I have to acknowledge at the jump that men and queer people each as a group have their own specific harm and specific damage from purity culture teachings. I also feel like I should note that this is not a different thing from patriarchy. Purity culture and modesty culture and patriarchy all belong in the same category because I believe that they are all parts of the same thing. And I think you'll see as we talk more about purity culture, you'll see how it ties into complementarianism and patriarchy and other concepts that we've discussed on the show. But purity culture essentially teaches that sex only belongs within a heterosexual marriage and that any other sexual activity that is not within a heterosexual marriage is a serious offense to God. Purity culture sets up sexual behavior outside of a heterosexual marriage as a special kind of sin. So, and it's a bit of cognitive dissonance because out of one side of their mouths, they're telling you that all sin is equal in the sight of God. But out of the other side of their mouth, they make sexual sin, uh, scare quotes on that, equal to murder. So one of the worst things that you can possibly do. So if you engage in sexual sin, does this devalue you as a person if if people find out about it? So that's the other major component of this. And this is taught more heavily to women and AFAB people, but this is taught to everyone. The 
core concept of purity culture is that a person's virginity and their sexual exclusivity is a special gift for their future husband or wife. It's the most valuable gift that you could ever possibly give them. And this very quickly goes down the road of assigning a large part of a person's worth as a human being to the status of their virginity. So I wasn't raised with this teach, but I was raised with the, I want to say the secular equivalent of this teaching, you know what I'm saying? Which is that if you, and they taught, this was what we got in the health class in like middle school and high school, which is that if you have sex with somebody, you're putting yourself at risk for diseases, uh, many of which are incurable and will ruin sex for you for the rest of your life. So Mm -hmm. you won't be able to find a partner because nobody will want to be with you because you've got diseases. So there is a connection to your value as a person or as a partner in that, isn't there? Yes. Because they're telling you that you'll get an incurable STI and you're less valuable as a partner to any future partners that you may have. Yes, that that was the big scare. to, And they're just like, well, you can use condoms, but they're not 100% effective. So every time you do, you're rolling the dice. Like that's how they kind of treated it. Yeah. Big scare tactic. So so I do want to say, just to back up uh, the facts on this, 90% of our audience probably know this already, but there might be a listener out there who has never had someone they trusted tell them this. This is a big myth. Yes, STIs are a real thing, a real serious thing. Yes, you should protect yourself from them as best as you can. However, incurable is really not an accurate way to think of the majority of STIs. And even if you do contract something like herpes or HIV that does not have a cure, there are medications that can greatly lessen or almost completely take away the effects that those diseases would have on your life and the risk to any future partners. And even if you do contract one of these STIs that doesn't have a cure, it has absolutely no bearing on your worth as a human being or as a partner to another human being. Thank you for saying that, Sadie. That's sage advice. I, you know, I feel like most people have heard that before, but if there's one listener who has never heard that said that way, I felt like they absolutely needed to hear it. I, so I have, I have a quick question to follow up your high school, um, sex ed class thing that you were just talking about. Yeah. Did they ever address people who had non-consensually been violated by other people? Uh, I'm trying to remember. Um, like, because they're they're assigning your worth to your like purity culture is assigning your worth to your virginity, but this class that you were talking about was assigning worth to your status of whether or not you have an STI. And I wonder if that right. same worth designation was ever applied to people who were victims of non-consensual experiences. Not explicitly so that wasn't applied there, which, you know, I feel like that's... This is something that we're not going to get into super much in our discussion of purity culture today, but I felt felt wrong about passing by without mentioning this because in purity culture, um, people who were victims of non-consensual sexual experiences often feel that that designation of less worthy 
uh, was applied to them, regardless of whether they had any say in the matter. And that is one of the most heartbreaking. Like, purity culture hurts everyone. It hurts everyone who's involved with it. But it hurts women and AFAB people more than men and AMAB people. And it hurts people who are victims of assault more than it hurts anyone else. And it is absolutely crucial to include the experiences of men and AMAB people when we talk about purity culture. I never want to exclude their experiences, but I can't pass it by without honoring the people who are hurt the absolute most. So in purity culture, we hear a lot of STI scare talk and... Uh, I don't think I'm going to do it in this episode. At some point, I will tell all of the like spooky stories you tell in the dark that were sermon illustrations about STIs. Um, some of them are just so funny and ridiculous and awful. Falls off. Uh, no, there. I, 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 we don't have time in this episode. I will do it eventually. It'll be healing. So in purity culture, we do hear like a lot of this STI scare talk. The addition that comes with purity culture specifically is that we are also told that if you have sex with someone who does not turn out to be your future husband or wife, you are giving away a piece of your soul. A piece of your soul. Yes. Your soul Mm. will be bound to each person that you have sex with until you die. Like Harry Potter? Yes. But then when they get to salvation (laughs) theology, they mostly disregard this. Um, No one ever really explained that part to me. So I guess when you die, all your soul pieces just come back together. I'm really not sure how that's supposed to work. Either that or you get to heaven and like... (laughs) You get to heaven and you're walking around with like one arm and like a a hole in your stomach and... Just waiting for my soul ties to die and hope they don't go to hell. Because if they do, I'm stuck like this for all eternity. Yeah, man. We show up in heaven. We're like three feet tall. Everyone else is like giants. We're just like, the f*** did we do wrong? (laughs) 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 But this is a very literal example, though, of how purity culture teaches that sexual behavior can devalue you as a person. It teaches that you are 100% literally less of a person with each additional sex partner that you have. But it's not just like the act that devalues you. It's the desire to engage in the conduct that could possibly maybe eventually lead up to the act. Right. So to a lesser extent, kissing someone or holding hands or quote unquote impure thoughts also devalue you as a person. I've even heard it taught. So this is one of the weirdest fundy teachings I've heard taught. I have heard it taught that if you watch pornography, you are giving a piece of your soul away to the actors as well. So you are creating a soul bond with the actors that you are watching, or if you lust after a person, any person, that you are also creating a soul tie with them. So if you uh, happen to be listening to this and you are an OnlyFans performer, you should start making bank by selling pieces of the souls of your OnlyFans patrons. That's what I would recommend. Possible business opportunity here. (laughs) I guess if you can make money selling bathwater, you can probably make money selling souls. Just put the soul fragment in like a cute little glass jar with glitter. 
Look, I'm saying if, if you're an OnlyFans performer, you're probably a hustler. If so, you're an OnlyFans performer and you want to sell me the souls of the people who are your OnlyFans patrons, hit me up. I might actually buy that from you. <laughs> if I can get it on a certificate like Bart Simpson's soul when he sells his soul to Millhouse. Or, you know, start selling them in candles like Gwyneth Paltrow. Oh, no. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. <laughs> you know, every time I think I'm gay, something that, something happens that makes me think, you know, men aren't that bad. <laughs> <laughs> Gwyneth Paltrow is oh, one of those things. Uh, oh, my God. She's, uh, I, she's incredible. She's, so uh, the end result of purity culture. <laughs> you good? I'm good. Okay. Oh, no, I'm sorry. You just... You just set me off. That was the. (laughs) Uh, Be here all night. (laughs) So the end result of purity culture is that people are taught that extramarital sex is such a sin that they should take extra steps to prevent that. So the extra steps that people are taught they should take can differ a lot between groups that practice some version of purity culture. Some groups like the mainstream Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, for example, uh, say that holding hands or kissing is okay if you're in a committed dating relationship. People should avoid being alone for extended periods of time or sharing a bed or cuddling while lying down because things like that would be too much temptation. In the IFB, this went a a lot further because we were taught, don't kiss, don't hold hands until the wedding. And don't ever be alone in a room or a car with a person of the opposite gender ever, even for 30 seconds, regardless of the marital status of people involved. Of course, I say opposite gender because queer people don't exist in this worldview. So clearly, this is going to take a lot of unlearning. Yeah, and just from what I see, I think people tend to go in reverse when they're doing this work. So some people leave purity culture and they immediately... They're like, freedom, this is awesome. They jump in, they start hooking up with a bunch of people. They find a place in in like the, the great world of tender and whatever that is safe and happy for them. And if that's you, that's great and valid. I want you to have fun and keep yourself emotionally and physically safe. And I certainly don't want to shame people who like get out and they're like, freedom, and they just go to town. I think more people tend to go down the road of... working backwards. So they're deconstructing all of this mentally. They start with considering, well, what if it's not a sin to have sex with somebody I'm not married to as long as I'm in a committed relationship? And then they kind of keep working backwards. Well, what if it's not a sin to have sex with somebody that I'm not married to, period? And and they're kind of like, they're mentally getting way down the road but physically, the habits of purity culture are still sticking with them. So mentally, they have accepted that whatever religious beliefs they kept or didn't keep, they are not going to believe that this is a sin. So in their brain, they're like way down the road, but in their body, they're still weirded out by non-sexual or less sexual physical contact. They're uncomfortable in the same room with people of the gender that they want today, like this kind of thing. And this can even persist to where a person is comfortable or almost all the way comfortable having sex with a person that they're dating, 
but they're still completely weirded out by platonic physical contact or platonic interactions. So I remember in an earlier episode, you were telling me that when I used to give you like car rides to work in the morning, that was something that you had to mentally prepare yourself for being okay with. Yeah. And this was after like I had dated people. I was married. You may have also noticed around the same time, I, if I stopped by to talk to you at your desk, if there wasn't someone in the same area before I got to know you really well, I would stand in the doorway because that way we weren't technically in the same room. Technically, my desk wasn't in a room. It was in like a back hallway. Okay. Yes. But for fundamentalist <laughs> purity culture purposes, hallways count as rooms. Did you ever notice that I would stand with like one foot outside the doorway? I, I absolutely did not. I, I really, I'm just not observant when it comes to that sort of thing. So this was just a habit. Obviously. Really? Yeah. And obviously mentally, I wasn't in that place where I thought it would be a sin for me to stand in a room with a coworker, but it was a physical habit that stuck with me long after the mental deconstruction. Even when I would go to see our boss in his office, so our boss at that job had an office where all the walls were glass, but even then I would constantly stand with one foot outside the door because that habit of if you've got a foot outside the door, you're not technically in the same room, got so ingrained in me that no matter how far down the line I was mentally, I still had that physical habit of like, this is what I do. Wow. That's, I mean, that's, it's pedantic, but also just like, that is fundamentalism really in a, in a nutshell, isn't mm-hmm. it? So say you are a heterosexual ex-fundamentalist or you are a bisexual ex-fundamentalist who is interested in dating people who are not the same gender as you. How would you go about acclimatizing yourself to being alone with somebody who is not the same gender as you? I think a really good way to do it is to practice being in appropriate situations. I think these situations tend to come up naturally, just like like you giving me a ride to work. I didn't have to seek out that situation. It just came up. And then I got to evaluate whether the situation was safe. And then I got to choose to engage with the situation. And then when I was actually doing the thing, I could notice well, this seems normal. This seems safe. Uh, Nobody is going to spontaneously burst into flames or get hit by lightning. I guess this is okay. Also, you know, it's going to help if you've got like female coworkers and you can ask like, is this guy cool? Is he a safe person or is he? Right. I talked to a couple female and non-binary people who worked in your department and could like check out the situation. Like, hey, it has this person always been cool around you like if this person offered you a ride to work would you take it Mm -hmm. well here's the thought about that actually now that i'm on the topic i think people raised in purity culture or raised in a culture that is so full of abuse might have trouble evaluating what is and what isn't a safe situation to begin with so many times i hear about somebody leaving a controlling religious environment and going straight into a toxic controlling relationship because control is all they know and they've been told that to quote Metallica, love is control, so many times that they believed it. So someone behaves in a controlling way to them and then they think, oh, this is what love feels like. So this has to be doubly dangerous because controlling people are also going to seek out people who are emotionally or physically vulnerable because they get their validation from being controlling. So if they if they see somebody who is fresh out of the IFB with no real 
like bearings as to what's normal and what isn't, that kind of makes you an easy mark, doesn't it? Yeah, it's extremely dangerous. And I see this all the time. So if you're fresh out of purity culture and you're trying to break down this barrier and be okay with existing in the world, existing in the same rooms and cars with other people, you do want to evaluate the safety of that situation. But you may feel like you have no toolkit. You have no way to make that evaluation. Because it, it is so difficult if you do uh, leave a controlling environment and then immediately run into abuse of some kind or immediately get taken advantage of because you're naive. It is so difficult not to run right back to the environment where you are comfortable. So I want to give people some basic tools for making that evaluation. One thing that really sticks out to me is if you can tell someone, hey, I have a trigger around this. Please don't do this thing around me. And that person accepts and respects that and apologizes if they mess up. That's a green flag. And if you can, um, like we were just talking about, feel free to check up on people and ask around whether they're safe. When you found out that I was asking people if you were a safe person, was that offensive to you? No. I mean, it's, it shouldn't be. It's kind of like regular. It's kind of behavior that I expect from people. You know? Yeah, because you understand that it's a scary world out there. I think it should be normalized to be able to say to someone, hey, so-and-so asked me if I want to hang out after work or after class or whatever. Have you ever hung out with them in person? Do you think it's a good idea? And I think it should be normalized on the positive side for people to vouch for others who are safe people and to call out people who have a record of not being safe. Other advice that I have when you're developing that sense of what a safe situation looks like is to go ahead and protect yourself as best as you can. What we're looking to do is develop a sharp internal sense of this is safe or this is unsafe. We're looking to build that confidence to make the call and the confidence and self-awareness to get out of a bad situation. But that sense, that internal sense does not come in overnight. And sometimes the only way to sharpen that sense is to be in a lot of situations. And some of them are going to be good and some of them are not going to be so good. So while you are working on it, if you realize that you have not yet built that good, strong sense of what is safe and what isn't, while you're gaining that experience, I recommend that people go ahead and learn some basic self-defense skills. As much as we don't want that to be a necessity, it is. Share your location with a trusted friend. Learn about internet safety and learn to recognize manipulative behavior both online and in person. I, I really think, like, I hate that I have to say this because I want everybody to be kind and safe to everyone at all times, but I just, I understand that's not what life is. So I really believe that while you are building the confidence to have more of an innate sense of what's safe and what isn't, giving yourself systems to fall back on is the best possible thing you can do for yourself. Because uh, statistically, appearing confident reduces your likelihood of being a target to begin with. I think that is excellent advice, especially for women and femme people. And I want to maybe, maybe we look at the flip side of things just real quick. So I know that fundamentalism teaches men that they are not really accountable for their behavior. And we True. know that, yeah. And we know that they're teaching you, like you guys that like 
you like you were taught that out in the secular world, like out in the worldly world, that we're all out here just like Barney Stinsoning it. Like yes. in how I'm through yeah, we're just like trying to hook up with as many different people as possible. Like seven days a week means seven different sexual partners that you meet at bars or out on the street or at a class or at work or at the club or whatever it is you do. No. Um I honestly did think that. <laughs> really? Oh yeah. Wow. That's nuts. I mean it it's just logistically speaking, very difficult. Um nobody would be getting any sleep. Uh <laughs> Which I guess makes sense if you're a fundy because you're not getting any sleep either. Obviously, you look at like this is ridiculous. That's absurd. But say you're a man coming out of fundamentalism and you think that this is true. You think that this is reality because this is what you've been taught. You're you're coming out of this and you're thinking, you know, maybe I should uh, head out to the bar, look for some honeys, uh, and 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 try to it, it engage in this highly promiscuous behavior because frankly it sounds like a lot of fun yeah like i'm gonna be a worldly guy now i'm gonna go get my seven women a week like if you are coming out and you're thinking that this is how it is you're probably gonna engage in some creepy and frankly probably reprehensible behavior yeah so if you're raised in a part of fundamentalism where you believe that women owe men sex and you are a straight guy and you come out of that it's got to be a struggle not to transfer that belief to every woman you meet what do you think guys can do to avoid the pitfalls of this like this is something i Hmm. obviously didn't live i feel like thinking back to our conversation with eric we touched on this a little bit there and it seems like missteps and awkward moments are kind of unavoidable but how do you think men could mitigate that as much as possible? So that's a difficult question because on one hand, you're probably going to you're going to be coming out of this and you're probably you're being told, yeah, it's just a free for all out here. Everybody's just like raw dogging each other all day, all night. Hearing about it, you're probably getting FOMO. You know what I'm saying? Like Yeah. Yeah, and you're being you're you're out here thinking every other guy in the entire world is hooking up with every woman. And they know all the secrets and I don't. But also, if you're coming out, you're like, you're probably like, you've probably been warned if you're coming out of fundamentalism by the reactionary people in your church. You've probably been warned about quote unquote cancel culture and how you will get 10 years in prison as a rapist if you tell a woman that her dress looks nice. So, like, you you won't have learned about boundaries, but like both of these things are absurd and ridiculous, but you won't have learned about boundaries or, or where any of this stuff is. And you'll, and you won't know to how, how to have like basic physical contact with somebody without being terrified that that is going to be seen as making unwanted sexual advances toward that person. You know what I'm saying? Right. And you could see both sides of that, even from the same person. Right. Like the same straight guy coming out of fundamentalism could both go overboard and accidentally come off as creepy and not know that he's being a creep. And also in different situations, be afraid to make a move that would be a welcome and consensual move because he's afraid that anything is going to be seen as sexual and defensive and it, it that seems paralyzing 
That seems terrifying. That seems like you're walking a tightrope and like the consequences for getting it wrong are like you go to jail forever and you never have a job again and everybody you know is going to hate you. It just that seems like it was just be that seems like it would be so paralyzing and such seem like such a lose lose situation. Right. And so, you know what I think? Um, And there's a few things that I I think you can do. Big thing that you can do. Try just don't worry about like the sexual side. Don't worry about like the dating side of things. Just try to make like platonic female friends. You know what I'm saying? Like, be open and honest with them about your upbringing, but also try to avoid emotionally dumping on them. Because if you're an ex-fundy man and you like you have a woman in your life, you're probably going to end up emotionally dumping on it. Like, that's that's just kind of a I don't want to say par for the course, but like it it might be par for the course. I don't know. Um, I've never been through it. So learning how to handle that is, is a a big part of it, but really just like try to make platonic female friends who you can just like, you know what I'm saying? I think this is a good suggestion. I'm usually very wary of telling men to rely on the emotional labor of women to fix their problems. I do agree though, that having platonic, just having female and femme friends could be a huge help to a guy in this situation. Maybe um, I I tend, so I tend to be a fixer friend. If I have a friend who has any kind of issue, like I have a, you know, if I have a friend who is not confident asking people out, or I have a friend who is not confident in their dress sense, or I have a friend who really wants to learn to roller skate, but is afraid to go by themselves. Or I have a friend who wants to go to the gym more. I need somebody to hype them up. Like, I am the kind of person I want to get involved with that. If you have a project that you're working on, I want to know about it. I want to hype you up. I want to offer ways around problems that you run into. And not everybody is that way. But maybe if a if a person who's in this situation is making like really trying to build platonic female friendships maybe he's going to run into somebody who is like me who is gonna want is going to actively enjoy the project mm. of helping him figure this stuff out i do realize that this is not going to be the most helpful to a guy who doesn't even have one female friend because he's so scared of women because of purity culture but i do think that that forming you know not be not going out and looking for like I need somebody who's going to be my best friend forever, but I need somebody that I can hang out with and be chill with. I, I do think that's a solid idea. And and you know if you were going out with a guy, if 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 a guy asked you out and you found out that that dude had no female friends, oh, red flag. Mm-mm. No. Yeah, that is not happening. So another point, maybe don't make your uh, hashtag first female friend be somebody that you're super attracted to. Okay, counterpoint, though, what about realize that you're going to have a lot of crushes on a lot of people because purity culture brainwashing makes you latch onto people in inappropriate ways and mentally prepare to deal with the feelings? I don't think that's purity culture. I think that's just testosterone. Uh, I think it's I think it's purity culture. I, I'm sure I'm sure it's a little column A, a little column B. <laughs> But also, like, people with testosterone are going to have to learn to deal with the testosterone somehow. I guess I should say people with more testosterone because everybody has it naturally. It's just that some people tend to have about 10 10 times more. 
But bottom line is, if you're coming out of this, you're going to experience non-mutual crushes. Because that's how the world works. Um, You're going to experience non-mutual attraction, no matter who you are. And having a friend who can be a sounding board on good ways to deal with that and very bad do-not-do-it ways to deal with that could be a really (laughs) helpful resource. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, emotionally dumping on your female friends is bad, even if they seem like they're okay with it. If, If you do that too much, it can end up in like a really weird and codependent place and it can turn into like a, a, a messy, bad whole thing that's gross and, and bad for everybody, especially like if I would just say if you have that much emotional dumping to do, maybe consider therapy. If you were raised in purity culture, maybe consider therapy also just like as you know, True. like a fact you like you just you you just have stuff to work through. It's fine. We all do. I I do think I do think though having a friend who can set you straight and be a sounding board for what is appropriate is a good piece of advice for people raised in purity culture who tend to go overboard. I'm glad you brought up to be aware and not overwhelm somebody by emotionally dumping on them, but I also know because I am one that there are people who like being that person for someone. You could even practice some conversational consent by straight up asking them, do you enjoy working through this with me or is this getting to be too much for you? Because as much as I believe in consent for physical interactions, I believe in it just as much for conversations and non-physical interactions. For the people who feel who who are not the kind who are like going overboard, for the people who fall more to the other side, who feel scared of doing anything at all, I think platonic relationships can also be a great proving ground to practice doing normal things like being alone with someone or helping somebody stand back up if they fall down or passing things to people and not apologizing 47 times if your hands brush. Platonic relationships can also be a great place to practice asking for consent, like asking before you hug somebody, just getting yourself used to the habit of asking for consent. I think so much of it comes down, like for ex-fundy cis men, cis straight men specifically, I think so much of it comes down to seeing women as real people. I've known so many ex-fundamentalist guys that struggled with this, and like I don't blame them because that is how they were raised. I would blame them if they didn't struggle with it, like if they didn't try to work through it. That would be an issue. Having to realize, oh, shoot, women are real people. That's normal for men who grew up in fundamentalism. And I've known people who weren't raised in fundamentalism that had the same struggle, too. Uh, They're just less aware of it. So if this is too personal of a question, you can certainly feel free to edit it out. But for me, there was just an ongoing series of light bulb moments where I realized that I was a real person just as much as a man is a real person. And I would love to know, was that a light bulb moment that you ever had to experience? Like realizing that women are real people. So, okay. So when I was in middle school, uh, my favorite thing was Star Wars. And like, all I wanted to talk about was Star Wars and girls didn't want to talk about Star Wars mostly. So I was just like mostly hanging out with the boys that wanted to talk about Star Wars. But like when I got into high school and, and my interests sort of changed, I guess 
a lot of my close friends ended up being girls because a lot of the guys would bully me and pick on me. If like if it happened when I was like younger than that, maybe I didn't maybe I didn't realize it, but like I I don't know. I mean, like obviously culturally speaking, if you're a man, there's all sorts of sexism out there in the world, misogyny out there in the world that you just kind of absorb and you don't really really realize it until somebody points it out to you and you're like, oh huh. Oh, okay. So I asked Jonathan the same question. Like, what did you ever have to have a light bulb moment where you realize that women are real people? Because I needed a bigger sample size of never fundy men. So I doubled my sample size from one to two. And he said pretty much the same thing as you. It wasn't something he ever felt like he had to realize, although he did have realizations about general sexism and misogyny in culture and like realizing what bullshit it was. Right. I think men raised in fundamentalism do have to have that light bulb moment. But on the other hand, women and AFAB people raised in fundamentalism have to have the light bulb moment where they realize that men are not uncontrollable animals. Yeah. I mean, well, because if you're if you're a man and you're out here just in the world, you're just vibing, right? You and and then all the women around you are like, life sucks, everything sucks, and you're just like, why? What's going on? <laughs> Just out here vibe. I I think I think it's different for men than it is for women because, like you were saying in purity culture, your value is derived from your sexual purity. In a lot of secular culture, and I don't I don't know if I would say this is equally toxic. It's definitely toxic. I wouldn't say it's equally toxic. But if you're a man, a lot of your value is derived from your ability to have sex with women. That's like it. Like with as many as possible as often as possible especially like with, with a lot of the music that's popular you know and a lot of the things that like it's really been popular for our whole lives um in pop culture a lot of the the music a lot of the 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 things that are are i guess shown promoted are are quite hedonistic would would you say yeah, I would say yeah. So and it's and it's a reaction to the prudishness of the past, and it's not uh, necessary. It's not morally good or bad unless it harms people, right? It just it kind of more is what it is, in my opinion. I mean, it can have a it, it can have an effect where it goes so far that it does harm people, and then people growing up and and looking at that think that that's normal or think that that's like just how it is when it's really really right. really not. so i guess we just figured out it's not bad until it's bad which is a one really philosophically deep you know like going from one extreme to the other extreme as far as culture goes can be such a shock because i'm sure that like if you came down like if you came out of like fundamentalism and you're just like sex is bad and then you hear like to the window, to the wall, to the sweat drip from my balls. Oh, skeet, 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 skeet. like that. I you heard know? that song for the first time watching The Proposal. What's The Proposal? It's a Sandra Bullock movie. Oh, is it good? Should I watch yeah. it? Yes, you should. Okay, well. Um, it's I'll got one, of those, like one of those hot guys named Ryan has his butt in it. I think it's Ryan Reynolds, but I can't remember which one. He's in Deadpool. I like him in Deadpool. But like, if you go from that to to like from one end to the other, then you're just like, oh, what's going on? Like, so we like we all know that we all know guys in our lives that have that unmistakable sexual charisma. 
You know what I'm saying? Like the, the, the Barney Har- Stinson guys, the Harrison Fords of the world, guys where they walk into a room and you're just like, oh, you know, like, and there's a bit of FOMO going on because you can't, like, you can't, you look at that, you're like, why can't I be that guy? And on top of that, you are a 20 to 25 year old guy. I'm assuming, possibly, maybe. This is who we're talking about here, hypothetically. Um, you're you're a 20 to 25-year-old man, and you're coming out of fundamentalism, and you're making friends with other guys. And it could be embarrassing if you're that age to admit that you're a virgin at 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25. So if you're trying to, like, I don't know, like you make friends with a bunch of guys, you're trying to have a night out with the boys, and you're going to, like, go to try to meet girls or talk to girls at, like, a bar or at a party or at a nightclub – that can be alienating. That can be a wall between you and your friends. Yeah. But I feel like this just went all the way in a circle to something we were talking about at the top of the episode, because so much of deconstructing purity culture is seeing yourself as a being with worth that is completely separate from how much sex you are or are not having. So it's going from what you're describing is like what might happen if somebody goes from purity culture where their worth is defined by not having sex to the worldly world where they feel like their worth is defined by having sex. The key is finding your self-worth completely outside of that. Because if there's, you know, this is another one of those things. This might just be for one person who's never heard this before, uh, because I'm sure most people have. But you are worth something as a person, period, regardless of your gender or your sexual orientation or how many partners you have had or never had. You are, you have inherent worth that is completely independent from and not affected by any of those things. But if you grew up in in purity culture, you were probably told growing up that you are inherently worthless and dirty and broken and sinful and that your only worth is God and your sexual purity. It's, it's a real doozy and getting through that is a lot. But in case anybody needed to hear it, I you have inherent worth. That's extremely valuable and a, a really important thing to say. I think... What you got at there when when you were talking about uh, finding having value and whatnot, I I think the real piece of advice here is that you need to figure out a healthy way to define yourself as a person outside of your sexual proclivities, which is also a great piece of advice because having a strong sense of identity, like a, a strong sense of who you are, what like what you want to be. And, and what your needs and what your desires are and what you like and what you don't like, that makes everything in your life, including dating, easier. It really does. Yeah. I, I'm so glad that we got all the way around to this point because I think this is really a core issue for deconstructing purity culture. I think purity culture is so powerful because like other powerful ideologies, it wraps everything about your life into a singular way to define yourself. And it is really difficult to break that chain. You've been told your entire life that you have no other identity. And starting over is really hard, but I I think that is one foundational part to deconstructing this because your 
your sexual identity, like who you are attracted to and who you do have sex with and how often and all of that, it's perfectly fine for that to be a core part of who you are. But that's not the entirety of who you are. You're so much more than that and you're worth so much more than that. So let's go take up the offering. When we get back, I want to kind of change gears and go into more practical advice for dating after purity culture. Let's do it. Sounds great. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, Sadie here. If this is your first time listening to the Leaving Eden podcast, make sure you go back and check out episode 57. It's a primer episode for new listeners. That episode tells my personal story and gives you all the terms and information that you'll need to know going forward. Also, check out our cult true crime series, The First Family of Fundamentalism, so that you can get the whole cult story. If you like our show, you can support us by joining our Patreon, where we have extended and uncensored episodes, as well as other bonus content available. You can also join in the discussion in our Facebook group, that group is called Eden Exodus. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell your worst enemy. The Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast, and we really appreciate your support. Now, back to the show. We are back from our break. We are back. We are back. We are back. Okay, we're talking about dating. We are. With so. a purpose. <laughs> book is so ridiculous. Uh, if you want to hear us talk about dating in a different episode about what the fundies idea of dating is, you can go back. I think the episode's called We Review a Dating Manual Written by a Convicted Pedophile, uh, which yeah, is Yeah, that sounds about true. right. He's out of jail now, which uh, has he registered as a sex offender yet? If I don't not, think I somebody checked should... this week, but last time I checked, no. Okay, well, he needs to go back to jail then. Um, Absolutely. Because it's not funny um, for numerous reasons. Anyway, um, Sadie. Yes. Say, hypothetically, uh, you've made a bit of progress on yourself uh, and you are a, a decent way down the road to deconstruction. Don't need to be all the way because uh, let's face it, that never really happens. Uh, but you've you've unlearned a few of the more toxic bits, what's the next big hurdle? I So yeah, I think being done with deconstruction is totally a myth. Um, I don't think that's a thing that happens. But I think when you when you get to a point of stability, the next thing and maybe one of the biggest hurdles to anybody dating is getting out and meeting people. A thing we really haven't talked about on this episode is that in fundamentalism, you are absolutely expected to meet your spouse one way, and that is 
through church. Church, Bible college, youth conferences, that is your only option. So the thing... Meeting people isn't just a problem for exes. It's a problem for everybody. Right. It, um, yeah. <laughs> so we're going to kind of mix the ex-fundamental advice with the everybody advice here. If you're not going to meet people through church, I think the first thing that a lot of people think this is the right way to do it is trying to meet people by going to bars. Bars can be tough, man. It's, so this is especially mm. intimidating for ex-fundamentalists because you're in a whole new environment where you don't have experience and you don't know the rules and it's new and uncomfortable and challenging. Also, another real sticky wicket with this is that there's a lot of people, including ex-fundamentalists and lots of other types of people that don't drink for perfectly valid reasons that may or may not have anything to do with religion. Yeah, if you're a guy... Going out to a bar in order to meet women is not as easy as it seems on television. Like you've really got to be willing to talk to like to try to talk to maybe, I don't know, 10 women before you find one that actually wants your attention. So there are, yeah, there are a lot of things that make this not the only option for meeting people. Now, I'm definitely not telling people not to, I don't know, go to the bar, hit the club. If that's something you're interested in experiencing, if that's an experience you want, by all means, go for it. Have fun and be safe. But we're going to we're gonna talk about that option, but then we're going to switch over and talk about some other options that are also viable. Yeah. So if you're a bit introverted, like we were saying in the first step, one of the best things that you can do is is really try to 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 get some help maybe from your friends you know if if you're somebody if you have a make friends with somebody who is extremely extroverted and you know like you we all know the kind of person who will say like anything to anybody because they don't care Hmm, who do i know Um, like that (laughs) like so sadie say you were still single and we're friends and you're not you're trying to meet girls um guys and girls but you're not comfortable going to a bar to just like hit on girls by yourself. What what would you do? I would take you to the karaoke bar that's near my house and I would literally just go up to women and say, this is my friend Sadie. She was raised in a cult and she doesn't know any music. What song should she sing? Okay, that actually sounds like a very winning strategy. It's a legitimately great strategy. So, God forbid, if Jonathan ever gets eaten by a shark, uh, we can definitely try that. Because I, I did tell, I told him that if anything happens to him, I'm not dealing with another man. Uh, as everyone knows, if my husband gets eaten by a shark, I'm marrying Kate McKinnon. Or if you heard my surprise guest spot on podcasting for the right reasons, you know that I would also consider marrying Rachel from The Bachelorette. Isn't Kate McKinnon taken? Shh, don't, don't ruin this. I, I also have no inkling that my husband is likely to get eaten by a shark. Um, I've all, never even seen him in the ocean. What if you guys take Chuck to the aquarium? If Jonathan gets eaten by a shark at the aquarium, you can take me to the karaoke bar to hit on girls. I, I hope that never happens because honestly, that sounds horrifying. I like Jonathan and I don't want him to get eaten by a shark, especially at the aquarium. Uh, so the th- like thing is... If you're trying to meet people at bars, it can be tough to stand out from the crowd. 
if you're hitting on girls and you're in the bar, like the, the, the whoever you're talking to, whatever girl you're talking to, she's probably had 50 different guys that night already try to break off a piece. You know what I'm saying? Like, so going out and, and like, I'm saying lean into the, I was raised in a cult thing. That is a strong opener. Okay. Like that, get that gets the conversation started. You know what I'm saying? Like then, you know, offer to buy her a drink. Don't, go up to a girl and just say, Hey, can I buy you a drink as your opener? Because like 25 people have already done that. Yeah. Okay. And also like that's expensive. You know, you're like, you can, you can like, you buy the drink to keep the conversation going. If it's a good conversation, don't be like, Hey, can I buy you a drink? Hey, can I buy you a drink? Hey, can I buy like 10 different girls? That's you're going to run out of money. B not very effective. This sounds like the literal equivalent of being a soul winner and being like, hey, do you know 100% sure if you die today, you go to heaven? Hey, do you know 100% sure if you die today, you go to heaven? Yeah. It's like the same tactic. And all of us ex-fundies know that that one doesn't work either. Here's the thing, though. If you do happen to be like the one in, I don't know, 20 people, 20 fundies that happen to be a great soul winner when you were in fundamentalism and now you're out and you have zero boundaries and zero self-awareness <laughs> you might act like this might actually be your scene you know what i'm saying like being able to walk up to anybody and say hey do you know your soul's eternal destination is much less invasive than saying hey i like your earrings can i buy you a drink that's true <laughs> Uh, those of us true. who have zero self-awareness because of fundamentalism, this could actually be an advantage when we are trying to make new friends or date new people. And like the I was raised in a cult opener might not be for everyone. I do want to respect that, that, you know, not everybody is me. But also, you know, this could work for you. That's like having good vibes goes a long way. Like people like, you know, what I'm saying people decide who they do and don't want to date like a very much based purely on vibes like the, the, and maybe that's tough to get for a lot of people because sometimes it, like especially if you are raised in fundamentalism it's difficult to tell if somebody's being nice to you or they're like actually into you hmm. which is difficult it's difficult for everybody but i'm sure it's especially difficult if you're in fundamentalism and you're taught that like oh well every woman is a hussy and she's like trying to to uh to 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 tempt you into something no she's just like existing exi like existing and saying oh what do you do for a, what do you do for a living like very boring conversation and you're like you oh she's tempting you know <laughs> do you think we should talk about like how to ask somebody out because i feel like this could be difficult if you are a fundy and you're used to just being like do you want to go to the Valentine's banquet with me? Yeah, mm, maybe. Cause like if if you don't have like these prescribed events, what like what are you gonna do? That like because it, it can be it, it can be really there's a lot of different ways of, of going about this because a lot of people really like to I don't want to say keep it formal, but a lot of people like to to officially be like i am inviting you on a date let's go to here let's go to this restaurant and and we'll have dinner mm -hmm. which can be like d depending on what you're looking for that can be the thing but also it can be like a very high pressure situation yeah 
One thing that I think the fundies really get right about dating is, and this is straight out of dating with a purpose, I think an activity-based date is a great first date. Um, just, just inviting somebody to do something other than going, let's go get drinks or let's go get food. Right. And like do inviting somebody to something during the daytime is also. Yeah. Especially if you are trying to date women or femme identified people. Right. Cause a lot of times they'll go somewhere with somebody that they don't know during the daytime, but they would not dream of, of going somewhere with somebody that they don't really know during the night for Right. That's just general advice for anybody who is trying to date women and femmes is just accept that they are if somebody is not does not feel safe doing a particular thing with you, um, especially if it's a one on one scenario or if it's something you're asking them to do something in the evening. It's not you. It's not a personal insult. They're just trying to keep themselves safe. And we, we can just respect that and try to make it a little bit easier on people. I do think like Asking somebody to do an activity that is like something in addition to getting drinks or food instead of uh, let's go get drinks at a bar. How about let's go to karaoke or if you can find an activity that they are interested in doing, that's a great first date. Uh, I know here in Portland, we have retro video game arcades that also have food and drinks. I think that's fun. And would be a great first date, but any activity that they think would be fun, well, let's go that do that activity together. And then if you really hit it off, you can continue the date into going to get food or whatever and keep getting to know each other. You know, a lot of times also though, like maybe it, and and this can this can sort of some people really like this and some people really don't is that sometimes what you can do is you can invite somebody to something that you were already planning on doing anyway. Ooh, so like, interesting. Yeah. So so like say say I I meet up with somebody and I'm I, like yeah I, I like we're at like a a party or something and I I meet you and I'm just like oh what are you doing this weekend and you're like I don't know I, I'm just relaxing just hanging out and. I'm like, oh, well, I was planning on going to the beach. And you're like, oh, that sounds fun. And I was like, would you like to come to the beach? You know, if if, if you sort of invite somebody to something that you are already planning on doing, then it maybe makes it a little bit less high pressure. But the downside of this is that also they might think that you're just inviting them as friends, which like can still be a good time but that might not be what you're looking for and it might result in some yeah but uh, but also maybe they need to get to know you as friends a little bit and then go on a date with you you can invite somebody that you would like to date to if you have mutual friends you can hang out with them with friends as like a you know that way they feel secure enough with you to potentially go on a date this can backfire but it can also work yeah, like not every date that you go on has to be like, oh, we're going on to dating activity, which is like the equivalent of inviting somebody to prom. Yeah, it know, does not like, have to as, be a bachelor date every time. No. <laughs> really not necessary. I Like I said, I don't want to tell anybody not to have an experience that they want to try if it's possible for them to have that experience in a safe way. But there are so many reasons that the bar scene just might not work for somebody. So if it isn't for you or if you try it and it turns out not to be for you, my very basic how to meet people advice is to tell people to seek out activities and to make friends. 
I truly believe that more successful relationships come from either a shared interest or a mutual friend introduction than anything else. Just off the top of my head, some ideas would be um, D&D games, rock climbing gyms, book clubs, volunteering, martial arts classes, dance classes, gyms, hiking groups, biking groups, board game experience enthusiast groups because i know all my ex-fundies would kill at board game groups um if you're ex-mormon if there's like an uno group yeah go up and everybody up and just be like to the winner go the spoils and and (laughs) but any interest that you have that you can find a group for is always a good idea Because you might find your person there, but if not, what's way more likely is you might make friends with someone who will then introduce you to your person. I think what you have to do here is take a leaf out of Jack Scopp's book. Mm, What leaf? (laughs) So, okay, do you remember the story where he had a guy, he had the list of qualities that he was looking for in a wife? Yeah. yeah, So I'm not saying make a list. I'm saying... Figure out what kind of person it is you're looking for, and that like if if you want to make like if you want to make a list of of like the kind of person that that you like really feel attracted to, make that list. If you if you feel like you got to write it down, but then you have to ask yourself: this person on this list, or, or this this person that I'm looking for, where does this person hang out? Mm. And then start hanging, and then start going to the place where you think that person is going to hang out. I think that is an excellent take. So do you want to know where I got that take from? Where? Cardi B. Oh. So a few years ago, she does a video where she says how to cuff yourself a winter boo. And everything that she says in this video is dynamite. So I have a a controversial dating take, possibly. Oh, no. (laughs) I think... I think it's totally okay to have a list of things that you're looking for and a list of things that are deal breakers. I don't think it's good to get too specific with these lists. And I don't think it's good to have more than a couple of things that are like absolute no's because you really might be writing off somebody who is really worth your time. But but when I was dating, people that were 100% no on ever having kids were just not compatible with me. Um, you know, I was, I was very, I did not want to specify down to like the number of kids that I hope to have or like when I would want to start having kids or like different parenting things. All of that is way too specific. But people who were absolutely sure that they never wanted kids at all were just not what I was looking for because wanting to have kids one day was a really big deal for me. So I absolutely think it's a mistake to make a huge list of qualifications and be absolutely ironclad about every one. I think that's a massive mistake. I Or, you know, to reference dating with a porpoise, to write somebody off because they wear the wrong color of hosiery. I think that's really dumb. But I absolutely think it's okay to be aware and grow more aware over time of what the absolute must-haves and absolute deal-breakers are. Yeah, she's too trendy. She's not of the Lord. She has the neon leg warmers no um <laughs> stupidest thing i swear no like that if there's a certain aesthetic of person that you're really attracted to th- like there's nothing wrong with it like if you are if you want a partner that dresses like a crust punk and has like hella tattoos and piercings and <laughs> it's totally okay to not be into somebody who's not that vibe at all 
I've got to ask potential partners if they would be possibly open to permanently moving to a different country. And that can actually, lately, that's not been a limiting factor because if you ask women, hey, how do you feel about leaving the country? A lot of them are just like, you know what? That sounds okay right now. (laughs) (laughs) I mean. So you are talking about two different things here, though, because I I don't think there's anything wrong with being attracted to somebody who looks a certain way. I just I don't want people to let it blind them to other people. If you're looking for somebody who looks a certain way or dresses a certain way, that's natural. I would I always recommend not letting it be your only focus to the point that you would miss somebody who's an amazing match for you in every other way. I think there's a balance to be struck. As far as being willing to move, though, that could be a true deal breaker, and that's okay. So how do you feel about when people should be bringing these things up? Like, are you asking about moving on the first date, or is that like a second, third date conversation? You kind of have to suss it out. You know what I'm saying? Like, Mm -hmm. it's a bit of a, like, first date, you sort of have to get a sense of, like, how international is this person's vibes? You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, if this if they have lived in one place their whole life and they can't imagine leaving or maybe they speak different languages or maybe they have family overseas or maybe you know their career aspirations are in a field where there's many opportunities in the country that you could possibly be interested in living in the reason i was asking about being upfront with things is that i want to talk about disclosing religious trauma i think you know, whenever you choose to disclose some or all of your past trauma to a person, their reaction can tell you a lot about what kind of person they are. I do not think that you are obligated to tell a new person everything right up front. And more practically speaking, you also don't want to trauma dump on a first date 99% of the time. I, I have some advice, though, for people who are dating with PTSD or dating with religious trauma. I think if you have triggers that are common things that come up, you should probably let somebody know sooner rather than later. One of my triggers that I've chosen to be really open about on the podcast is sudden loud noises. So even when I was first dating Jonathan, I think this came up within the first couple dates because we were at a restaurant and somebody dropped a whole bus tray of plates and cups and there was a huge crash. So I had to explain, hey... I have some PTSD and loud noises are a trigger. I recommend for people who are dating with PTSD or trauma, I think the biggest thing you can do for a potential partner is not only let them know, number one, what the trigger is, but let them also know what your reaction usually is when it happens and what the best thing for them to do in response is. I remember when like we were early in doing the podcast and we'd been friends for not that long, but we, but we were early in doing the podcast. Uh, you told me one time, like you, you told me that you have a trigger for like specifically men yelling at you. Oh yeah. And so I'm, you're just like, you can never, ever, ever, ever yell at me. And I'm just like, cool. Got it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, well, you're not much of a shouty person anyway. I don't like yelling at people. I just don't. Yeah. Unnecessary. So if you have a trigger that's really obscure and it's rarely going to come up, I don't think you need to tell somebody 
unless and until it happens or until you're in a very committed relationship, because it could be months or years before that specific one thing ever comes up. But for common triggers, so what I would say is, hey, I have PTSD. I'm really triggered by sudden loud noises and I'm triggered by male sounding voices yelling. If this happens when we're together, you'll probably see me tense up or seem like I zone out while I get a hold of my thoughts. If it's something really loud and it's right in my ear, my most common reaction is to end up underneath the table somewhere. Please don't try to put your arm around me or hold me if that happens because that feels constricting and that's going to make it worse. But if you can hold my hand and kind of talk quietly to me, that is going to be helpful. So you don't have to tell the person why it's triggering, especially if it's a really new relationship or if you just don't want to tell the whole story. If you don't really feel like you need to, you don't have to. If they ask why it's triggering, if you want to tell them, you can tell them. But if you don't want to tell them, you should feel free to say, well, I'd rather explain that another time or give them a really simple answer like, I was raised in a strict religious environment and it left me with some PTSD. So I you know, I want people to feel empowered to ask for appropriate help, even from people that they're very recently dating, um, when you're dealing with common triggers. And this is what I'm talking about also as um, with it will be revealing of what kind of person they are. Because if you're, you're because you're looking for somebody who believes you when you say that something is a trigger and doesn't try to minimize it or say that you're faking, you're looking for someone who wants to get to know all of the parts of you that you want to share, but respects boundaries if you're not willing to get into all the details. And you're looking for someone who listens to you when you tell them what the most helpful response is and follows through on that. Do people actually like if you say go up to somebody and say, hey, look, you, you know, a loud noise is really freak me out. They're going to say you're lying. I don't believe you. That happens. Yeah. they'll Oh, all the time. Yeah. Like what? as a person with PTSD, this happens to me all the time. People, yeah, people will be like, oh, you can't have you. <laughs> you never even served in the military. You can't have PTSD. Um, you're just doing this for attention. Everybody gets scared if something loud goes off in their ear. You're just being, you're overreacting. You are acting out for attention. Assholes, or, man. or like what? you're, you need to just strengthen your mind. Like you're really weak minded and you're letting this get to you and you need to not let it get to you. Okay. I guess that ma- I can imagine the kind of person that would do that. Uh, I just, yeah, ugh, but that it- me <laughs> off. Oh, man. It's really f***ing Um, And this, honestly, anytime, like, as a person with PTSD, and especially a non-military person with PTSD, anytime I disclose that to somebody, there's maybe, like, a 10 to 25% chance that I get that reaction. Really? Oh, yeah. That many? Oh, yeah, yeah. At least sucks. one in 10 people, probably closer to, like, two or three out of 10 people. I really don't like that. That really bothers me. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about it, bro. <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's Mm. it's um it's really shitty and if you are a person who has trauma uh whether it's diagnosed as ptsd or not if you're somebody who has triggers whether it's diagnosed or not the way that somebody responds when you tell them about this is going to tell you a lot about them and i highly recommend that you pay attention and when someone tells you who they are believe them so that is excellent advice Here's a question for you, because um, we're, we're talking about, I guess, trauma dumping a little bit. Have you, so 
obviously you've been the person who has had to disclose religious trauma. Have you ever been the person who's had the the trauma disclosed to you? Oh yeah, absolutely. De- like depending on how it's done really makes all the difference. You know, or like how it's metered out. Um, uh, sense of timing. Sense of timing. Yeah. yeah. Um this is a a story I guess I'll tell. I um a few years ago I was going out with with somebody uh she and I had been dating for probably 3 weeks or something and you know, she she asked me to come over to her house. I went over to her house. Uh she didn't tell me anything beforehand, but uh she basically just sat me down and then sp- I think like 45 minutes to an hour she spent telling me stories about four or five really traumatic things that happened to her during like childhood or, or during young adulthood. And it it, 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 it was like an event almost. And it really just felt like too much too soon. This, I think you've told me about this. This is the, the girl who looks like a character from a TV show that we have both watched. No, this is a different. Person. Oh gosh. Oh, there's two of them. Okay. <laughs> no, she, uh, that, that was during college. Okay. That, so that was yeah. But this okay, but this story you're talking about, it sounds like she really wanted to open up to you and have you know and understand her story and have like emotional intimacy, but the way that she did it felt maybe too formal. It felt like she really wanted to get you to that level of emotional intimacy, but she did it in like an awkward way that made it difficult. Yeah. And it was really just like, okay, if, you know, if, if I'd have come over to your house and you'd have told me like one of these stories, um, then it would have been like, okay, gr- like, I'm glad you told me that, that, that really mean. And like, then, you know, a bit later you tell me another one. And then a bit later you tell, like, it was basically just like, here you go. Here is the Wikipedia download on everything traumatic that's ever happened to me in my life. Now you do. Now you tell me all of yours. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. uh, we are like, I'm just like, we are not on the same page here. Mm-hmm. This, I have a couple notes because if, if you as a person have trauma, that's your story to share. And if you do want to share it with a partner, like, I don't want to come off like it's invalid to want to share your trauma with a partner or somebody that you've been dating or somebody that you're hoping to get into a committed relationship with. Oh, absolutely not. But I think traumatized people, we crave love and understanding from people so much that we feel like we will, we feel like we will earn that love and understanding by telling them everything. There's a bit of like a, a almost like a logic to it where basically it's like, okay, well, if I, if you have all of the information in front of me, then you can act accordingly. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like there, there's like a, okay, well I will just give you the download sheet uh, and you can put that in your brain. And now everything that I do makes sense and you won't like, right. Like I like this person and I want them to understand every part of me. And it also can be like rejection sensitivity because maybe you're afraid that once a person knows all of your trauma, they will no longer want to be with you. So almost as a protection tactic for yourself, you feel like you just need to tell them all of the trauma and then they can either decide to take it or leave it. Yeah. And when it ended up falling apart, it wasn't because like of anything to do with, with, her traumatic experiences it was actually more to do with the fact that she was like now i want to know everything that happened to you and that 
she like and then i was just like well i like i don't really have that much to talk about and then she was like well what about this and this and this and this and i'm like i didn't tell you about those you know how do you know about those Ooh, it, well it wasn't like it wasn't like those things but it was just like well i you know i i scrubbed your social media and i found that like several years ago you were talking about being really upset about uh and, and just feeling like it, it seemed like you felt really bad during this time in your life do you want to tell me what happened there i'm just like no Ooh. yeah like, that it, seems invasive it, it like and it, it came across as inv- it was like well i did mine like i shared mine with you and you won't share yours with me like yeah I and that like, and, and, seems manipulative yeah and it, it did feel manipulative and she was like well now i feel like this is uneven like i'm giving more than you and i'm just like th- like we've been going out for like three weeks and you didn't so, ask for that and i didn't ask for this okay so so as a traumatized person, you know, I want to have all of the grace in the world for this person that we're discussing, because from what you're telling me, she had legitimate traumatic experiences that were truly difficult. Oh, absolutely. I'm not I'm not denying that one bit. Right. And and the way that she acted is probably a trauma response. But I want to help our listeners because a lot of our listeners have trauma. I want to help our listeners learn from that and and manage their own trauma responses. How do you go about introducing this part of you to someone? I think there there are so many factors and there's also the factor of guilt because you're if you're not telling the person everything, you feel guilty for keeping something from them. But if you do tell them everything, you also can feel like you're burdening them with your trauma and you can feel guilty for that too. Is the feeling guilty for keeping something from them, is that like a fundamentalism thing? I think it's a Christianity thing in general or like an evangelical thing in general because the common belief in evangelicalism is that keeping a secret is the same as a lie. Interesting. Yeah. So So, like having information that you could share and don't is also considered lying. And lying is one of the Ten Commandments, so it's a pretty big deal. So, okay, so so when we go to disclosing trauma, I do want to give like a little piece of practical advice. I tend to think that the snowflake method works for this. What's the snowflake method? So the snowflake method is actually a novel writing theory. So you start with like characters and then you build in major plot points and then you build in a subplot and then you build in all of these minor plot points that connect the plot and the subplot and then you actually sit down and write the novel. So it's you're building a framework and then expanding and it's almost like a fractal kind of thing. Okay, cool. So you're like outlining. Yeah. It's like a very intense method of outlining. I think that this works for disclosing trauma. So you could tell a partner, I was raised in a a religious group that had a lot of guilt and shame and fear, and it was really difficult for me. And then further down the road, as the relationship gets deeper, you could say, you could describe a, a basic idea of like how fundamentalism is a culture of guilt and shame and fear. And then as the relationship gets deeper, you could disclose actual traumatic events that happened to you that were enforcements of the guilt and shame and fear and how they affected you. And then as, you know, one more step, if the, as the relationship continues, you can talk about the psychological effects on you personally and how it still affects your life. But that first part that like saying, oh, I was raised in a, a religious environment that was very uh, uh, restrictive, a lot of guilt and shame and fear. You could do that first date. Yes, no problem. Absolutely, yeah. and you can do that if you're if you're talking about triggers. You could say, "Hey, this this is my background, and 
these this is like the major thing that is most likely to trigger me and i usually react by doing this thing if this ever happens here's the best way for you to react and then you can just move on because you you really it goes back to the purity culture thing you have to find your self-worth and your identity outside of these things and I don't say that lightly. Please don't take this as me saying, oh, you know, find your self-worth and find your identity and don't make the trauma the biggest thing about you. This is really hard stuff and it really takes time. The trauma will always be a part of who you are. But as you get to know yourself out from under all of this, the trauma can be less of a percentage of who you are and less of a smaller part of the whole of how you see yourself and how you identify yourself. I think that there is a way to honor and value and show respect to the traumatized part of yourself while also learning to honor and value all of the other things that make you, you. So we've we've done this entire episode on the effects of purity culture, and we've really only spoken about sex as in, like, this is the thing that you don't do in purity culture. I do want to talk short, kind of briefly about uh, if dating for you includes wanting to have sex with any number of other people before we wrap up the episode. The first thing I want to say for all of my exes is that your sex life is yours. I want you to be happy and satisfied with your decisions. Purity culture takes away your own ownership of your sexual experiences, and I hate that. I don't want people to think, though, that the only correct solution is to feel obligated to go have a whole bunch of sex with a whole bunch of people immediately after rejecting purity culture. That is one solution, and that solution works for a lot of people. And if it's for you, good for you. Have fun. Be safe. We absolutely do not sex shame on this show. What I want to make clear, though, is that there isn't one fix or one solution for everybody. The solution is reclaiming ownership of your own experience and realizing that you have every right to customize and build the life you want. And that, in, that I think that way of framing it is a lot more inclusive of people who are asexual or people who are demisexual. It, it's more inclusive of Everybody on that spectrum from there all the way through monogamy and polyamory and the folks who just want to bang every consenting person out there. I think we can I think we can frame this in a way that's that's inclusive of everyone. Yes. Uh, also, if you are getting out of fundamentalism and you're like, yeah, I want to bang everybody. That is more difficult than they make it seem like logistically speaking. uh also, emotionally speaking, like uh, it's 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 not easy to go out and do that. They make it seem like it's easy to just go out and do like it's not, you know. Uh, yeah, we talked a little bit in the first half of the episode about potentially the disillusionment. I think one of the things that I've got that before you can understand how consent works, uh, which may be difficult if you're coming out of fundamentalism, is that you've also got to understand you have ownership of your own body. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you are, say, you're coming out of fundamentalism and you are sexually inexperienced and you are with a partner who tries something that you have never tried before, 
Um, and you don't know if this is a regular thing or if it's like a bit outside the mainstream and you're not really into it, you can tell them that you don't like it and that you want them to stop. You're not obligated to allow them con- to continue because you don't want to like ruin it for them or seem like a wet blanket or you don't want to come across as like prudish or not fun enough. You can tell them yeah like or you can say please explain this thing that you're going to do before you do it right and if this is relevant to you when you're disclosing trauma even if you're kind of doing the softball method that i was talking about you can let a person know hey um i'm the kind of person i want to be asked for verbal consent before each new activity uh if that if that is what you need, then by all means, just ask for it. Advocate for yourself. We were taught so heavily in purity culture that your body is not your own. And I know that this is old news to a lot of listeners, but for anyone who needs to hear it, your body belongs to you alone. Your sexual experiences are and should be yours to choose. And if you have experienced or do experience a bad or a non-consensual experience, how you manage and deal with that and view and frame that experience for yourself also belongs to you. I really want to recommend here an Instagram account. It's at ericasmith.sex.ed. I'll link that. um, When we do our Instagram post on this, I'll link her account either in the show notes or in the comments or both. I'll put it in the story. That's what we'll do. Perfect. We'll put it in our IG story too. Yeah. Erica is a sex educator who came out of purity culture. She has online courses that she calls purity culture dropout, but her free Instagram posts are really good for anybody who's working through this. Whether you're just starting out or a little bit farther down the road, she has a lot of things that are very basic and a lot of things that are more advanced, which is one reason I wanted to recommend her. She's also, of course, fully LGBTQ affirming, sex positive, all the stuff that you would really want. I I feel like there's no way I could be comprehensive about consent or sexual communication in one podcast episode. But I would absolutely recommend that you check out Erica's account and that you seek out comprehensive sex ed, including learning as much as you can about communication and consent. You know, we, what you know what we should do? We should get uh, like a, a a sex therapist to come on and and do like sex education or something like that with with us uh, for an episode. That'd be fun. That would um, be, yeah, that would be super fun. Yeah. So here's a question for you: How much pornography do you think that most fundies consume? So there are multiple studies. There's a lot of data. There, I haven't seen a lot of studies on that separate fundamentalist men from mainstream evangelical men. So that's a a little bit of a sticking point with the data. But I I looked at several studies. I, from compiling those studies, at least 50% and probably more like 70% of self-identified Christian men report consuming pornography at least monthly, if not more often, most of them more often. And when I combine that with my knowledge of fundamentalist men, I my conclusion would be that fundamentalists, on when you average them all out, probably consume porn just about equally with any other Americans in the same demographics. So how about fundamentalist women or, or like mm. ex-fundy women? 
My guess would be that fundamentalist women would come in significantly lower than the average for non-fundamentalist women. But the reason that I would guess that is that fundamentalist women have no concept that porn could offer them anything, and they've been so indoctrinated to have a fear and disgust reaction to it that they are not likely to ever seek it out even one time. I'd be interested to know what the experiences of freshly ex-fundy women and queer people would be. I haven't seen any data on this. It's probably another survey that we would have to do. Yeah, because I'm thinking like maybe you're like a woman or, or like a femme person coming out of fundamentalism and you're like, oh, man, they told me the sex was bad, but I don't know anything about it. How do I find out about it? Maybe I'll watch some porn, figure out what this whole thing is all about. Um, hmm. do, do, like, do you think that's something that people would do? Maybe just like a few people, not a lot of people, a lot of people, who knows? I really wouldn't know how to quantify that because it wasn't my experience I don't have a lot of anecdotal data on other people's experiences. People do share a lot of their experience of coming out of fundamentalism with me. And if you ask me about the the sex lives of recently ex-fundy people, I would have a lot more data. Interesting. Um, if you ask me, though, about specifically pornography use, I just don't know. And be- I think because the shame around that was so heavy that it was it's not something that people generally tell me about when they tell me about their experience coming out of fundamentalism because so the reason why i bring this up is because if you're watching pornography like this is going to give you some unrealistic and frankly alarming expectations and misconceptions of what is going to happen or and, and what might or might not be okay and what may or may not be like mainstream, something that mm-hmm. you're cool with, something that you're not like, is this what like you watch it? You're like, okay, is this what's expected of me? Exactly. Now? I agree that this could absolutely be a problem. There is a lot of speculation about how this affects especially funding men that turn out to be abusers. And I do have to say that the theory makes sense to me. That maybe fundy men get all or most of their sexual education from porn, and then they think that whatever they see there is normal and expected. We do see the effects of this in the the allegations against Josh Duggar, not the proven charges that he went to jail for, but the allegations by Danica Dillon. Um, if those are true, that would really support this theory. The things that Steven Anderson's teenage sons were saying in a group chat that have been leaked would 100% support this theory. There's a lot of stuff that you see that maybe like maybe it's mainstream for some people, but like it's definitely some stuff that you should ask for consent before, like make sure you figure out whether your partner's going to be into that beforehand before Mm -hmm. you engage in any like yeah, and as far as consent goes, if you're not sure, you can just ask. And it's there is there's just there's no there's okay, there is almost no such thing as asking for consent too much. I think like okay, at this point uh, I'm actually celebrating my my just past my 4-year anniversary with my husband. I Possibly. don't feel like I need to verbally ask him for consent to like hold his hand or kiss him at this point. <laughs> like I think we're good. Um but there is there is almost no such thing as asking for consent too much. If you feel like you don't know, or if you feel like you don't know with this person yet, 
it's always fine to just double check. I'm not going to tell people what to do with their own eyeballs beyond encouraging people to support independent sex workers and support sex workers' safety and seek out ethical, if you were going to consume pornography, seek out ethical consumption as much as you possibly can. I won't lecture people on what to do with their own eyeballs beyond that, but I will tell people to go find sex ed outside of porn. There may even be something in your city that you could attend that would be like a remedial sex ed kind of thing if you missed this, uh, if you went to a fundamentalist school that taught you nothing. This can also be a way to make some friends. Here in Portland, uh, we have a store called Shebop, and they have two to three classes every month on all sorts of sex ed topics. Literally anything you can dream of from the very basic to the very, very advanced. And seeking out something like that is, I think, going to give people a better education. Like you were saying that there's no th- no such thing as too much. Um if you consent to one form of sexual activity, that does not mean that you are giving somebody automatic approval for like literally everything under the sun. I know that fundamentalism has you raised in binaries where you mm-hmm. think that either you're like pure and a virgin or you're just like a total freak and you're out here doing everything that you see in just like the nastiest porno that you could find um and just like all of it and and it's your favorite thing and it's 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 how you get your jollies off just (laughs) just doing all of it like it's either one or the other but that's not that's not real i think we don't want to split this into a gender binary when we talk about this because everybody needs to know that it's not okay for you to be pressured into anything for any reason even if you feel like you should be doing that thing you still do not have to and I think it's important for everybody to understand that they must respect the consent of their partner. It's absolutely essential when you're getting out of a culture where consent was just not a thing, even something that was a joke. Uh, it is absolutely essential that you get comprehensive education around consent. If you happen to find a partner or somebody that you're having sex with or a friend who is extremely knowledgeable about this and wants to be an educator for you, that's fantastic. If you happen to find that, you're very lucky. Learn everything that they can teach you. I don't want to people to depend on that. I want people to go out and seek education about consent. Yeah, Um. Beyond that, I think one thing that you've got to remember also is that pornography is filmed so that it looks good on camera. It is not filmed with the intention of like being specifically enjoyable for the people who are performing in the scene. Um, Absolutely. So you may see them do something in a porno and you may think, oh, that looks hot. I should try that out. And then you try it out and you realize this doesn't really work. I can't hardly feel anything. This is a lot more trouble than it's actually (laughs) worth. Why are they doing this? This is like... Because it looks good on camera is why they're doing it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It looks like... So I think really the best thing that you can do is to just be totally open and honest with your partner that you are inexperienced. That you're like, look, uh, I, I was raised in a cult. (laughs) <laughs> I like like if you just if you say to your partner, look, I'm inexperienced. Um, if you don't like that way, if you don't know something and like they know you've had zero sex education, they know that you don't know something. It's not a big deal. Experience is not going to equal good performance, especially like if you're a guy, don't pretend to be 
an expert because you think it makes you more attractive or because uh, you think that she's going to have like a high standard that. So if you go in like and you're like, yeah, I don't know what I'm doing, that she's just going to reject you right away. Um, because if she does that, that's kind of a jerk move, especially if you're just like open about like, look, I was raised in a cult. I don't really know what I'm doing here. Please like you know like yeah if that is the only reason that somebody is rejecting you that is a jerk move yeah um and also like if you pretend like you're like an expert and you're not then like your partner's going to know you're not going to be able to k- keep the facade <laughs> like it, it, just you're not so true <laughs> honesty is the best policy it, like it really is honesty open communication that's the best policy if you do that like you'll you'll be fine so for Yeah, for me, this goes back to disclosing trauma like we were talking about earlier. You don't necessarily have to go into every detail of your purity culture experience if you're not ready for that or if the relationship isn't ready for that. I 100% agree that just telling your intended sex partner in simple terms what's up is a great idea. This is probably the only actual sex advice I will ever give on this podcast, but Sex is unique between each set of people that are doing it. It's pointless to just go in and assume that anything is going to be any certain way. It's always better to try to communicate with your partner. Get them to coach you to do what they like. Coach them to do what you like. It does not make a difference if you have been with one person before or a hundred. A new person is still a new opportunity to communicate and a new set of boundaries to learn and hopefully a new way to make yourself and someone else feel good. And if somebody is a jerk to you just simply because you're not as experienced as they expect you to be, yeah, they're just a jerk. I feel like there's no way that we could have covered everything regarding dating in the secular world post-fundamentalism and post-purity culture in one episode, but I really, I feel good about this one and I hope it's been a good start. Yeah, we didn't even talk about dating apps. Oh, oy vey, that's a... I I don't even know how to handle that. Uh, there's so much we didn't cover, but luckily we have an episode coming up. Um, so you you guys know we're doing this how to series. So every other week we're going to explain how to do something or or how to do two things. Um, and we decided we want to do an episode that's all like listener questions. So if you have a question, maybe it's about dating, maybe it's something else that you want to learn how to do. Uh, when you're getting out of fundamentalism, you can send us your questions at leavingedenpod at gmail.com and we will answer them anonymously. Yes. I, I was going to say if you have any specific questions, send them in before September 1st. We've learned from previous listener question episodes that the best way to keep everything in one place is to get you to send them to our email. So if you forget and send something to like our Instagram messages, we may see it in time. But if you want your question answered, the best way for us to get it all in one place so that we can answer it is to our email, leavingedenpod at gmail.com. We will answer those questions in early September. Yeah. um, Thanks for that. Next week, We have the episode that you've all been waiting for. It's the second part of our Welcome to Plathville special. That's going to be great. That's going to be the spicy one. Yeah. Uh, At the time we're recording this, the end of the season for Welcome to Plathville season four hasn't even aired. So we don't even know what's going to happen. It's going to be exciting. We'll all find out together next week. 
Yeah, man. I want to know what's going to happen with the divorce. I like, I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, then after that, we're going to do another how-to episode, and it's going to be how to drink alcohol and also how to dance. I still don't know how to dance. Somebody's going to have to teach me. Really? I would have thought you had good dancer vibes. I can do Soldier Boy. I can do the Hora, and I can do Cha-Cha Slide, and that's it. I can't do any dance with a name, uh, but I do have tips on how to not melt into a puddle of embarrassment. So well, there's that. That's good, man. And I am good at drinking. So I can talk all about that. And then um, coming after that, we're going to talk about picking clothes, developing personal style, doing fun stuff, going to shows, going to the movies. Should be fun. And so make sure you're subscribed and stay tuned for all of those. Is there anything else that we got to say before we go? Uh, I think we're good. All right. Well, uh, anyway, uh, Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, if you like our show, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Leaving Eden Podcast, on Twitter at Leaving Eden Pod. You can join our Patreon for an extended version of today's episode uh, in which we discuss things, including, I don't know, fun things. Uh, my parents, Sadie's baby. Yeah. Um, and that's patreon.com slash leaving Eden podcast. You can join our Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash Eden Exodus. You can join our subreddit, which is reddit.com slash r slash Eden Exodus. Sadie, do you want to plug your social media? Sure. You can follow me on Instagram at Sadie Carpenter Music, on Twitter at Hell Yes Sadie, or on TikTok at Sadie Carpenter One. And make sure you check out Sadie's appearance on that Bachelor podcast called Podcasting for the Right Reasons. She's on there. Uh, should be fun. I haven't listened to it yet because I don't know anything about The Bachelor, but she's a great hang. So you should check that out if you like The Bachelor, if you like reality television. And you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at G-A-V-R-I-E-L-H-A-C-O-H-E-N. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. You guys have a good one. Bye-bye. But Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.